Imagine doing surgery in the dark. Or, even better, for most of us in the room, imagine being the recipient of a surgery in the dark. It's pitch black. There is no light anywhere, and you need a heart valve replacement. Not one of those things that we would say, yeah, that's a good idea. If you're going to do surgery, you need some light. We live in a world today that is swirling in darkness, and people all around us are swirling in darkness, but God sends Jesus as the light to pierce the darkness. We're looking at the parables of the kingdom, and in Mark chapter 4, we pick up where we left off last week. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 21 through 25 this morning. While you're turning there, let me remind you, uh, as a church, we commit ourselves to pray together. Now, um, we are praying every day at 1 o'clock for one thing at one minute, for one minute for one thing. Take 60 seconds out of your day and pray at 1 o'clock together with all of us at First Norfolk. And here's what I want you to pray. Last week we prayed for people in our life group or people on the pew or the, uh, the, the bench around us. And, and, and this week I want us to pray for God to challenge us every day to read his word and to obey him. Would you commit to pray at 1 o'clock for Eric Thomas to read his word every day and to obey him? Would you pray at 1 o'clock for about one minute, pray, oh God, help me to read your word and obey your word. As a church, we pray together. Now, we also pray each week, uh, and this coming week on Tuesday, uh, we're going to pray together But we're at 6.30, but we're not going to pray in the chapel. You see, here's what's getting ready to happen. Starting tomorrow, we're going to get a new look for our lobby. And we've been talking about this. We have the plans laid out. We've got stuff ready, and it begins tomorrow. So uh, we're going to have trouble getting into uh, the lobby during the week. So next Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday, at 6.30, instead of meeting in the chapel, we're going to meet in room 300, okay? And we're going to get together, and we're going to pray Uh, specifically for the Spirit of God to do amazing things in our lives and in our church. Uh, So that's how we pray together. Now, next Sunday when you get here, uh, there's still going to be work going on in the lobby. So just know that you may have to change some things the way you uh, meet people or greet people in the hallway in the lobby, but we're going to let you know how that's supposed to look. We're going to do everything we can to help you. Uh, so it's going to look a little bit different in the lobby next Sunday. Just want you to be aware of that. Uh, but it, we're still going to, I mean, still going to have church, right? Okay. All right. So we'll meet in here next Sunday at 9 and 1030 and then at Crossroads at 5 uh, o'clock for our worship service over there just uh, next week, just like we do this week. All right. Uh, Now, 
Uh, that's one, two. The third thing I want to remind you of, and you'll hear this a couple more times, be sure to be back here at two o'clock uh, where we can honor Gary Sanders. I see him over here on my right, but I'm not going to look at him because I'm going to talk about him. Uh, Gary Sanders has served almost two decades in, in our, on our church staff, and he has been a friend, a co-laborer in the gospel. Today, we're going to take time and we're going to honor him and want to encourage you to join us to honor him. We're going to begin in the lobby, you be sure, and, and uh, you're going to have an opportunity to write notes or give gifts and all those type of things. That's going to happen in the lobby. There's going to be some, some fingerling kind of foodie type things uh, in the lobby. You be sure and be here for that. And then we'll move into this room uh, where we're going to uh, be more explicit in honoring him. So I encourage you to join us. Uh, and uh, we thank God for Gary Sanders and thank God for the opportunity to honor him. So we're going to do that at two o'clock. You be sure and be here for that. Uh, all right, Mark chapter four. Jesus is continuing to talk to his disciples. Uh, if you remember, uh, at the beginning of Mark four, he tells the parable of the soils and the seed and the sower. And in that parable, he talks to the crowd. And then beginning in verse 10, he changes his audience. He's no longer talking to the crowd of people, everybody that's gathered, but now he begins to talk to his disciples, those who are followers of his. And in verse 21, uh, verse 21 begins with this statement, and he said to them, the them in verse 21 is his disciples. He's talking to people who have by faith been transformed by God's grace, who have been brought into God's family, who are citizens of the kingdom of God. He's talking to people, not those who are uh, still searching for the king, but those who have been found by the king. King Jesus, and who are now uh, sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so he's talking to the church. He's talking to his followers. And he gives us instruction that I believe is important for us to hear today. Not a complex message, not difficult to understand, uh, but I hope and I pray that this Word from Jesus to us is as convicting to you and life-changing to you as it has been for me this week, okay? So let's listen to what Jesus teaches us. It's the parable of the lamp and then the parable of the measures. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, who are the them? Disciples. Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought or is a lamp coming to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Let's stop right there and let's understand Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and he is comparing something or someone to a lamp. Is a lamp brought to be hidden under a bed or, or, or under a basket? And of course, the obvious answer is no. Now Jesus, I believe, in this passage is comparing himself to that lamp. Jesus is the lamp. Now, we've heard about Jesus being the light of the world. That's John 8, 12. In John chapter 1, uh, John the apostle said that uh, 
in him, in Jesus, was light, and that light was the life of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the kingdom of God. He is the light, the manifest presence of God in flesh and bone. And Jesus is this lamp that we see in verse 21. And we know that God has sent Jesus as this lamp of the kingdom to bring light into the darkness. We live in a dark world. How many of you can agree? We live in a dark world. The world became dark the day sin erupted on the scene of human history. The day that sin erupted on the scene of human history was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time. And since that moment, the world has been covered in darkness. Since that moment, it has seemed as if the dominion or the rule of the devil was winning the day on earth. But Jesus was sent by God as the lamp, the light to shine into the darkness, to show that Satan is not victorious, nor is he king, but he is defeated and defeated forever. Now, we come to this passage, and verses 21 and 22 tell us uh, something about Jesus. So, in theological terms, this is Christology. This is uh, something about who Jesus is. And who Jesus, Neil Johnson, what are you doing on this side? This is disconcerting to me. This is making me confused. Neil normally sits over here on this side. I'm going to be dyslexic in my preaching all day. All right, so what verses 21 and 22 does is it teaches us something about Jesus. And, and, and Jesus begins with a question. He says, okay, um, do you buy a lamp in order to hide the lamp? That, that's what verse 21 says. Do you buy a lamp? Do you have a lamp? In order to hide the lamp, think of it this way: in first-century Judaism, in in uh, Palestine, and in in in, 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 in in Galilee, here where Jesus is teaching, uh, people would go out and they would buy a lamp. It's a little clay kind of container, and they would put oil in that lamp, and they would have a wick, and they would have to keep that wick trimmed. And the only way they could see where they're going in dark. Darkness. The only way they could have light in the house when this, after daylight savings time and the sun went down too early <laughs> was to have that light. And they didn't have that lamp in order to hide it. They had that lamp. You wouldn't light a lamp and then hide it. It's too expensive for that. You would light a lamp so that it would bring light into the home. And Jesus came from God the Father in order to bring light into the darkness. I pose the question, can you ever imagine doing surgery in the dark or being the recipient of a surgery in the dark? A few weeks ago, uh, there was a surgical team in Kiev, Ukraine, and they were preparing to do heart surgery on a young child. And after they had started the surgery and made the incision and started into the heart 
of this young child, the bombings began, and it knocked out all the power, and the power grid was shot, and the lights went out, and it was dark. And so the surgical team immediately cried out for light, and people brought in their iPhones, and they brought in their flashlights, and they had other makeshift battery-operated lamps that they would bring in, and they put it over that surgical uh, uh, area so that they could have light. You can't do surgery without the light. Friends, in the same way, we're trying to walk through this life, and if we don't have the light that God gives in the person of Jesus, we're just stumbling and fumbling along. It's disastrous. It's dangerous. It's difficult. Without the light, we're just stumbling in the dark, but God sent Jesus to be the light, to show us not only how to live, but to how, to, how to find life itself. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he said, if I, I'm the light of the world. If you're going to walk in light and not walk in darkness, you've got to have faith in me. You've got to believe in Jesus. Jesus certainly is the lamp that brings light into the world. But verse 22 says, and 21 and 22 says that God didn't send Jesus to keep him a secret, even though... Not everyone saw the light. Not everyone in the time of, 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 of this teaching, where Jesus is in Galilee teaching, there are people, and we, he mentioned this in Mark 4, 10 and 11, he said, not everybody's getting this. Not everybody understands the message of the kingdom. Not every understand, everyone understands who I am. And yet, even though there was a hiddenness, uh, um, not everybody could get it, the light was still shining. The light shined in, in, in the miracles that Jesus had done, in the teaching that he gave. Jesus was doing miraculous things, and people saw there's something different about this guy. In, in Mark chapter 1, uh, Jesus was in the synagogue. In verse 21, 22, 23, 24, Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's teaching, and, 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 and the people were amazed. And here's what they said about, we've never heard anything like this before. He teaches as one with the authority of God. Jesus then followed it up by healing uh, someone who was possessed by a demon, cast out the demons. And they said at the end of that section, verse 28, 27, 28, they said, who is this guy? Even the demons obey him. We've never seen anything like this before. So there was the light that was shining in the ministry of Jesus, and, and that light continued to shine in his earthly ministry as he continued to do the miracles of God and teach the Word of God and, and give lessons to people who would then become followers of his. The light was shining, but it was still shadowed. It was shadowed by an unbelieving group of people, and it was shadowed by circumstance, and it was shadowed by God himself because the full illumination of who Jesus is was not yet to be revealed. They could see a shimmering light of God's great love and mercy and grace and, and power in the person of Jesus, but they didn't understand it. Even his followers didn't get the whole load of it. They, did, they didn't understand it. And then Jesus is arrested. 
Jesus is arrested. This is not how the story is supposed to work. Jesus is arrested and he's put on a trial and then he's sent to his death. As followers of Jesus, we understand the why of that. We understand that Jesus uh, went to die. According to the purpose of God, Jesus went to die for sinners like you and me. Jesus, as he hung upon a cross and took punishment that he did not deserve, he was paying the price for my sin. For sinners like you and me, Jesus was dying. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus willingly, purposefully, intentionally died on a cross. But the disciples, when they saw that, they thought the light has been snuffed out. And darkness wins. The devil wins wins. Death wins. When, when the followers of Jesus saw Jesus hanging on a cross, they didn't think, oh, this is good news. They thought, oh, woe is me. I'm back in darkness again. They didn't yet remember that Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man has come to, not to be served but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. The light was shining, and then it seemed as if the light had been snuffed out. But God didn't send Jesus to keep him a secret. And God's purpose would not be thwarted. And even as Jesus breathed his last, victory was on its way. And we sang about it a few moments ago. That Jesus died and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And the full-blown illumination of Jesus Christ, the lamp, began to shine. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the promise of new life. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this glorious good news that even death and sin and hell is defeated by the power of Jesus Christ. He took the place of sinners upon a cross, and he took the punishment that I deserved. He died in my place for my sin. And then he was raised from the dead so that through faith in Jesus, I, Eric Thomas, a sinner dead and living in darkness, have been made alive in Christ Jesus. I have a new life. I have a new hope. I have a new way of living. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got that too. The light has shined upon you. That's the good news. That's verses 21 and 22. Now remember, Jesus is talking to his followers. He's talking to the church. And what makes us followers of Christ is we recognize that our sin has separated us from God. And that we are stuck in death and darkness and we have no escape in our own ingenuity, our own power, our own rule following. Nothing's going to give us an escape from the darkness. Only Jesus, the conqueror of death itself, can enlighten our ways. So we abandon ourselves in the arms of Jesus. We, uh, we, we cry out for God's mercy. We place our trust in Jesus. We turn from our sin and we say, oh God, save me, 
a sinner. And God, by his grace, lifts us up, renews, gives us a new life, a new heart, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. We're no longer the same, but we've made, been made new. We're new creations in Christ. Special creations, works of art. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. But the question is, how do we live each day? Do we live like that? Is that how we're living? Is that how you're living? Are you living uh, it, it, as a new creation in Christ? Let, let me just be honest and say, for me, I'm not speaking for you, for me, I wish that I was 100% every day living out this wondrous life that Jesus has saved me to and for. I wish I was living 100% wholeheartedly as a citizen of the kingdom, as a son of the living God. I wish that I was living so faithfully that I could say, yeah, man, I'm walking in the light even as he is in the light. I, I wish I could do that, but I can't. Because I'm not. And again, I'm not speaking for you, but I am going to make a generalization. Neither are you. But the message from this passage, Jesus gives us this great gospel truth in verses 21 and 22. But then he follows it up and he gives us instruction. He makes an appeal for us. I want you to walk in this light. I want you to live according to this, this wondrous light that has been uh, 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 cast your way and given you a new life. This is, this is what it means to be children of light and not children of darkness, citizens of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the living God and his family through faith in Christ. This is what we need to do every day. So the next two verses, next three verses... I think gives us instruction. If Jesus has come to dispel the darkness and, 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 and to give us life and light, then, then how do we walk in the light today? Today's January the 15th. How do we walk in light today? How do, how do we walk in the light on January 16th? In that commute from your home to work, and the traffic patterns and the inconsiderate other drivers and the frustrations of um, projects that have been delayed and now act like it's supersonic speed must get done kind of thing and the arguments that you have with your spouse in the rebellion of our children in the rising cost of living in the negative value of a dollar? How do we live as followers of Jesus? How do we live in the hope and the courage and the peace and the grace and the joy that this lamp Jesus Christ has given us? I'm not making too much of this verse this is the message that Jesus was giving. And he makes an appeal that we need to hear. If we're going to live in the light, walk in the light, not in the darkness, as followers of Jesus. Look at verse 23 and 24. It says, Let him who has ears to hear, 
here. And then he said to them, pay close attention to what you hear. We did this last week, and again, kind of the same message as last week, but I want, I want you, everybody to touch your ears. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. And then verse 24, the appeal continues. He said to them, take heed what you hear. Now, literally, in the Greek, it's blepete, which is uh, an imperative for see. See what you hear. That's pretty cool. I like that. It means gaze intently. Be focused. Be intentional. Let what you hear be seen in how you live. And God sent Jesus to bring light, and he's calling us to walk in the light as he is in the light. So he gives us this appeal, and that appeal is very clear. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. Pay attention to what Jesus is speaking to you today and tomorrow and the next day. See that what you hear becomes the life you live. I, I don't know how many of y'all fool around with social media. I, I, I'm aware, but I'm not, I'm not in-depth engaged in social media um, I'll post Bible scriptures and ice cream and fish and family. That's essentially what I post on social media. Uh, but there is this thing on social media, a group of people called influencers. Y'all heard of them? Some of y'all, yeah, you've got your favorite influencers. You got these influencers. This past week, USA Today uh, gave awards for the greatest uh, so, uh, uh, social media influencers in America. These are people, if you don't know what an influencer is, these are people who um, uh, get on uh, your TikToks. They get on your TikToks and they give advice, or YouTube, and they give advice on a whole host of different things. And there are hundreds of followers or thousands of followers or millions of followers listen to what they have to say about money, about marriage, and about makeup, and so much more. And they'll come in and they will give this advice and they'll sell a product and people will flock and listen and change their life in order to go ahead and do what the influencer has to say. Now look, I'm not against people giving advice on YouTube. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to YouTube, tried to figure out how to change stuff in my car. If there was a good YouTube counselor that I could go to to give me advice on how to stop a toilet from continually running, I would do it. But none of them have been able to stop that running toilet yet. I'm not against people giving advice, but here's what I would say. You know where I'm going with this. When Jesus said, pay attention to what you hear, he was saying, there are going to be a lot of influencers around you, a lot of people with a lot of great advice. But the most important influencer in your life has to be Jesus Christ. Has to be. Jesus gives us counsel. 
that lights the way. In, in Psalm uh, 119, verse 105, the verse that I learned in Vacation Bible School, Psalm 9, uh, 119, verse 105, David writes, he says, your, lamp, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's light to my path. Before that, he said, your words and testimonies are like sweet honey to my soul. Come on. Why would that be true of David? Because that's what it's like as followers of Christ, sons and daughters of the king, citizens of the kingdom of God. The word of Jesus is life-giving to us. When we're listening to influencers over and above Jesus, we're headed for darkness. Disaster. Danger. Difficulty. You want counsel on how to do marriage well. Don't come to me. Go to Jesus. And he speaks from Genesis to Revelation. You want counsel on how to do money well. Don't come to me. Go to Jesus. And he speaks from Genesis to Revelation. You want counsel on how to manage your emotions. They're all out of sorts. Don't come to me. I'm right there with you. Go to Jesus. And he speaks from Genesis to Revelation. Now, if you do come to me, you know what we're going to do together? We're going to go to Jesus. Because that's all I'm equipped to do. All I'm equipped to do is point you to Jesus. Let's see what God says in his word. This is life-giving to us. We want to know how to deal with the ethical conundrums of our day. Let's open God's word and let's follow it. That's life. That's light. That's what dispels the darkness. And yet so many of us, we hear what Jesus says, and we decide he really doesn't know much anymore. If he understood my situation, he understood the life and times in which we live, he'd have a different opinion. The answer is hogwash. Jesus speaks absolute truth for absolute all time. No matter the setting, no matter the circumstance, he speaks to us today. And his word is life and light. So in our church, we have a core value. It's biblical authority. Treasuring God's word as the rule for my life and faith. And my prayer for you today is that you would embrace God's word and hear what Jesus says and obey what Jesus says. See, it's not enough just to hear. You've got to obey. You, you, it's not enough just to, to hear the words. Y'all have heard a lot of stuff that I've said. Not many of y'all could repeat a lot of the things that I've said. But when we hear God, 
speak in his word. When, when we pay close attention to what Jesus is saying, we're not just listening with our ears and letting it go out our brains. We're listening with our ears, and it's settling in our hearts so that we do what he says. The Scripture says it's a good thing when you hear what God says. It's better if you do it. We must obey in every aspect of our lives. Pay close attention to what you hear. After the appeal, Jesus goes on and he adds some more um, instruction. Look at verse uh, 23 through 25. He said, 24 through 25. He said, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, you might say, well, okay, what does that mean? Let me just kind of define some of these phrases here. He says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. We'll come back to that. And to you who hear, more will be given. What is the more? It is the more better that God can give. Okay? Then he says, whoever has, to him more will be given. So if you're listening and hearing and obeying, the more better that God has to give, he'll give. And then it says, whoever does not have, that's whoever hears what God says but doesn't obey, the more better will decrease, not increase. What he has will be taken away from him. All right, so what does all this mean? I I don't know about you, but I like coffee. Right? I like coffee. I like coffee strong and, and undiluted. So when I go to the coffee shop, I I order a, uh, a small cup, tall, uh, a small four-shot Americana. As many shots as they can get in a small cup, that's what I want. And so I get a four-shot Americana. That, that's loaded stuff. Do you know how they make espresso? Espresso is when you take um, espresso ground coffee and you put it in this little container and you, and you, and you put it in there and then you press it down, and then you measure out a little bit more, and you press it down. You measure out a little bit more, and you press it down so it's compact. You know why you do that? So you can get a greater kick out of the cup. More blessing. Make my coffee at home. If I, if I want the greater kick of caffeine, man, I'm, gonna, I'm going to measure out as much as I can fit in that filter. If you want the kick of God's blessing, then you measure out obedience. The more we measure out obedience to God and His Word, the more God measures out the kick of His blessing. In our lives. The greater our obedience, the greater God's blessing. If you get nothing else from this message today, take hold of this. You wonder why God doesn't bless? God doesn't bless because we're not being obedient. You want God to bless? Be obedient. 
Well, I'm being obedient in this. Yeah, but are you being obedient in this and that? Are you being obedient in your relationships and in your finances? Are you being obedient in your uh, marriage and your money? Are you being obedient in your uh, uh, conversations as well as uh, your uh, playtime? Are you being obedient in what you think as well as what you say? You see, obedience isn't just being obedient in one aspect of life. Being obedient to God means that it's covering all aspects of my life. And God's desire is for me, Eric Thomas, to be wholeheartedly obedient to him. And when I am wholeheartedly obedient to God, then I can count with absolute certainty, without a doubt, that God will pour out blessings to me. Now, God will bless me according to my obedience. I obey him here. He's going to obey me here. But is that, uh, bless me here, but is that the measure that I want? You know, I say, well, th- that sounds transactional. It is. I mean, it absolutely is. This is what God's word teaches. The more I obey, the more God blesses. So you want blessing in your home, in your family, in your life, in your relationships? Obey! You say, can you promise that that's going to work 100% of the time? Yeah. Well, not me. I don't promise that. Jesus does. Invariably, somebody's going to email me this week and say, well, I was obedient here, but I didn't get blessed. I understand. Usually when that happens in my life, it's because I'm obedient here, but I'm disobedient here. And I'm expecting God to overlook my disobedience here and look at my obedience here and bless me here. See, the reality is we've all, as followers of Christ, we've all got plenty of work to do today beginning with me. There are places of my own life that need to be submitted to the will of God revealed in the voice of Jesus through the word of God and applied to my life by the Holy Spirit. Is that the way you're living? We want the promise of blessing then we need to measure out obedience. My hope and prayer for you and for me, for our church, is that we walk in this glorious blessing that our obedience to God promises and provides. That we would live out what it means to be a son and a daughter in the family of God. That we would live out what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. That the voice of Jesus be the loudest voice in our life. Greatest influencer. And we would obey him. And as we obey him, we rejoice in the blessing that God provides. I want to ask you to bow your heads right now with me, please. And just, let's just take a moment, real specific, in terms of how this message needs to hit. See, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
I want to challenge you to do this, okay? Right here, just do this thing. Identify the place in your life or the places in your life or uh, the areas of your life where you're being disobedient to God. Just identify those. It may be a bullet list. If you're like me, it's a long bullet list. Identify the places in your life where you're disobedient to God and join me today in turning that around to obedience rather than disobedience. Join me today in repenting my sin of disobedience to God and saying, God, look, Jesus has told me exactly what he desires, and I've said no. You have reminded me of it. You've been patient with me today. Oh, God, I acknowledge that that is sin, and I'm being disobedient, and I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm going to pay close attention to what Jesus has said to me today, and I'm going to measure out obedience. Identify those places in your life where you're being disobedient. Repent, and then commit yourself to obedience. Go one step further and say, God, will you now bless my home, my life, my family? Will you bless according to the obedience I'm showing as you have promised in your word? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and find out exactly how you can experience the life-changing truth and the life-giving hope that Jesus offers through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. In a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together a song of praise to Jesus. There are going to be ministers down here at the front. And if you want to know how to become a follower of Jesus, you come and talk to them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can come to them and say, will you pray for me? Or you can come to this altar and, and cry out to God. You can bring your checklist with you and say, God, these are the things I'm abandoning, the disobedience I'm abandoning, and I'm turning it around today for obedience. Now, Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you'd be glorified as Eric Thomas, as the first Norfolk family, and as those who are seeking after you today, respond by faith and obedience to you. And by the power of your spirit, would you spark in our hearts the faith and the courage to do exactly what your word is calling us to do. Jesus, may you be the greatest influence in my life today.